episode 298 of the Yellow Warpods. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we talk about Dortmund's pathetic 2-0 loss in the Champions League to Inter Milan, and we will preview the big game, the Revier Derby in Gelsenkirchen. And for all that and more, joins me Mr. Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing on this here in Philadelphia? Very delightful Thursday. I just played basketball for a couple of hours to, uh, you know, in, enjoy the day and, and try to forget about everything we are now going to talk about. So, um, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, Stefan. I think the, the better idea would have been to play basketball after recording this episode in that case. But I mean, I guess you have other things to do. Beggars can't be choosers, you're correct. So, um, I have the luxury of uh, having someone on who follows Dortmund and Inter, and I think you follow Inter quite closely. How close do you follow them? Uh, I pretty much watch every game, uh, listen to, not I wouldn't say most, but some press conferences just to freshen up on my Italian, because... Uh, as many people who learn languages know, um, reading is one thing, but, you know, comprehending spoken words is quite different. So, uh, I use it in that, that sense too, but obviously it's mostly watching the games and enjoying the ability, I would say, to be more of a fan than I think both of us can now be with Dortmund, considering that's also how we make money. Um, so. Uh, in in that sense, it it was both um, annoying for them to be drawn together uh, because the the assumption would be that one of them will not make it to the uh, round of sixteen because of the presence of Barcelona in the group. But also, it was kind of neat uh, to kind of see the the two teams pitched against each other and 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 watching the game and with you know a bit of. Uh, differing emotions in in myself, if so to say. Yeah, please expand on that. How how did this game make you yeah, feel? It, it really was a bit weird. I mean, obviously, I care uh, historically, if if that makes sense, more about Dortmund. Uh, it's, I mean, that's been my club for twenty six years or so. Whenever I started uh, formulating uh, thoughts about sports, so maybe like twenty five years or twenty four years, however. Um, and, and with Inter, it's more of a recent thing, I would say, for the last, I don't know, 10 to 12 years, but really never being able to watch most of the games in Germany without, you know, uh, consuming weird Chinese TV streams on crappy laptops back in the day. So ever since uh, The Zone has taken on uh, Serie A TV rights in Germany, uh, that's been really a catalyst for that to become much more of a thing. So uh, it, with that, it, it was kind of weird. Uh, you know, on the one hand, I always want Dortmund to do well or at least be interesting. And neither was the case really yesterday uh, or during the game, whenever this podcast is coming out. Uh, and on the other hand, it was nice to see Inter win a big game because obviously they've had a really good start to the season, but they uh, lost to both Barcelona and Juventus, which were the two big games on their schedule so far. So there was that that tiny bit of apprehension. How good are they really? So, I mean, 
it, I, I wasn't going to have a great evening either way because one of the two teams would lose or or it would be a draw that, that Inter and Dortmund don't really uh, gain much from. So I guess in a, in a sense, I could at least be happy that one of the teams won. Yeah, good for you, I guess. Um, there was not much to be happy about uh, in, in my case. Um, but let's start from the beginning. Um, I thought when I saw the lineup, it was going to be the same 4-4-2 that we saw against Gladbach, especially um, I assumed that Akanji once again would be starting as right back and so on and so forth. But we saw a 3-4-3 system or... Um, in the defensive shape, I guess it was more of a 5-3-2 system. Um, and we will talk about the void <laughs> in a little bit. But, um, f first things, I thought, I thought it was a positive impulse for Favre to go with the back three. It's something that I wouldn't have expected. Um, but, uh, I, I guess in this, in the same breath, we have to talk about all the players that basically played out of position, some due to injury, some due to Favre's thinking. So what did you make of, of the, uh, lineup that we saw in the, in the first minute and that I don't think really changed throughout the game? Well, it did change when, uh, Brun Larsen came on, but that was like, uh, last, last chance alone. Yeah. So not really important in the, in the greater scheme of things. Um, yeah, I was a bit surprised as well as you were. I mean, uh, I, I did expect when I saw the lineup for the Gladbach game for that to be a back three. And when that wasn't, I was, I was so assuming, I. okay, that's <laughs> just not how he operates and it's not going to be a back three for this game. Uh, but it was. And I mean, if you're a, a positive guy, I guess you, uh, applaud Favre for going out of uh, his own way because he's for Favre as we've, talked about so often i mean he doesn't really do this kind of thing but uh as i am more inclined to be negative uh per usual as regular listeners know <laughs> um i would say that it also kind of reeks of a little bit of desperation perhaps i mean uh clearly the the the, the plan whichever it is because there's no really the, not really a plan discernible at the moment when Dortmund are playing Uh, it hasn't really worked even after beating Gladbach narrowly and uh, quite luckily, I would say. And I guess that's something you guys talked about in the previous episode. So, so, uh, it, it, the, 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 the thing is to me, um, I've seen a lot of people talk about how you have to play a back three against Inter because they play Lukaku and Lotaro Martinez. So two out and out strikers, but, Neither Barcelona nor Juventus, if I'm not mistaken, played a back three and beat uh, Inter. And I mean, uh, Inter had really not done too well in the Champions League. They only drew against Slavia at home and that was really lucky as well. So uh, kind of shows the state of Dortmund at the moment that they don't go into a game, even away in the Champions League, uh, they don't go into the game thinking on the front foot if that makes sense but more thinking about how to react to the opposition and i think that's kind of symbolic of uh as i said the state of of this team at this at this moment and, and then it depends on how you view uh favre in general i guess uh how you uh, judge this move which obviously didn't work too well because even though they Defended pretty solidly throughout the game or throughout, let's say, the first hour of the game. Uh, the shape brought its own problems uh, going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, if we if, if we uh, look at at how Dortmund then even eventually played, I mean, we had um, I think Akanji as as a right center half, which uh, sort of makes sense. Then you have Hakimi um, who plays as a as a wing back, which is also a good idea. But then um, you know, the further you go up, the the more worrisome it it, it gets with um, Julian Brandt and Jaden Sancho up front. I mean, yes. No Marco Royce, no Paco Alcázar, um, but I thought they both looked horribly out of position. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, at least Akanji wasn't playing as an out-and-out right-back because I don't think this is the best idea ever. And I also believe that um, with the players that Dortmund have, maybe you don't have to play Hakimi as a as a wing-back or, or as a, as a right I guess the the way he interpreted that role, he was more like just just a winger. That's that's how I saw it. I don't really thought that he was uh, played as a wing back just because he he played so f so far up front. Um, so um, I took a lot of issue, especially with having Julian Brandt up front again, um, because it was such a bodiless performance. And then of course. Um, Last, I think this is something that's a massive peeve for the both of us, is that when Dortmund play, there's a lack of compactness between the lines. Um, you saw, I think, the, uh, the back three and the, the five or whatever, the, the defensive line, the midfield lines sort of together, but, um, especially when, uh, you know, some players up front press, even with the assistance of Hakimi, then, uh, you know, when, once they finish their pressing sequence, uh, they, they turn around and look if the teammates have had, and, and there's just nobody there. And then there's just a, a defender that can just turn around, and play the ball without any pressure whatsoever. So, um, that, that's something that, that really annoys me. Obviously, the most in, in the counter pressing move because it's only successful with the, when the entire team does it. But also just in general, either be it in, in build-up or or defensively, that there's just a gaping hole in, in midfield, um, and it's it's not a phenomena we've we just discovered under Lucien Favre. I, I think this has been around for for quite some time. Um, do you have any explanation for why that is? Do you think there there is a merit in in doing it like this? Do you think that? A coach like Favre um, sees merit in it, or do you think this is uh, just poor discipline in, in positioning? I mean, that's that's really tough to say, uh, especially without being, you know, uh, there when the team tactics talk is held and when they train uh, behind closed doors. Uh, I think defensively, this is kind of what Favre likes to do. I mean, he wants, uh, he's basically all about not giving away big chances. He doesn't mind you, uh, playing cross after cross if it leads to, you know, your defender heading the ball away and, and you can take, uh, long range shots against Dortmund. They will allow that. Just try not to give away the big play if, if we can use an NFL term. Um, so I, I mean, that I can kind of understand why, uh, why they they aren't you know pressing uh with the entire team and they are not playing a high line uh, especially with uh Weigel, Hummels and Witzel and to an extent Delaney in the defensive center I mean we've talked about that lacking a bit of pace 
um, in previous episodes. So it, I, I think, especially when you play against uh, a three-five-two system with uh, two out-and-out strikers, you don't want to hang yourself out to dry in that aspect. But I mean, as much as they are about not giving away big chances, they are about or they should be about, and if they want to play as far for plays, um, they are about creating big chances themselves. They recycle possession, so they don't take the the, the hopeful shots. They don't want to cross the ball in against a packed uh, box. They they want to find the gaps and openings, and that will take time. So uh, I don't see how being uh, so outmanned and having basically no one in the box. I mean, yesterday uh, in the game against Inter, twice in the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, Nico Schulz was the furthest furthest ahead uh, <laughs> of Dortmund's uh, players. And I mean, uh, it, it might be a good idea to get Schulz as far away from the uh, touchline as possible because he was horrible in possession uh, against Inter, but he's still not your best avenue for a threat on goal. So... I don't. I. I don't. I have no real answer to your question and no real idea as to how this all fits in a, in a in a greater plan of Favre's or if there even is one at this point. Kind of feels like uh, in possession they are mostly going through the motions, trying to get the ball to dangerous players more so than dangerous areas. So recently it's been mostly the pace of Hakimi uh, and and. When Royce is available, give him the ball in the channels and, you know, hope that they can make something happen because quite clearly and quite frankly, uh, the team's positional play and the, uh, the, the, the schemes and whatever you want to say, uh, it's just not really there. So, uh, most of Dortmund's attacking is basically what we call a hero football these days and, and, and <laughs> yes. that's something that Bayern also suffer from. But the difference is that Bayern have Robert Lewandowski and they have more yeah, heroes and Philippe Coutinho <laughs> and even Joshua Kimmich, who's really good at crossing, as opposed to uh, Dortmund's players. Uh, so, I mean, there are parallels, and and in the Bundesliga table, I mean, they are really close. But uh, I think the the issue runs deeper for Dortmund, especially because, as we talked about earlier, the lack of compactness also goes uh in in uh, as as far as their defense which you know is then a real problem yeah you see back in the day on this podcast uh, i i don't i don't want to say i coined the term automatism but i talked a lot about it and uh, the thing is uh, i i try to restrain myself from it because uh it, it would get annoying at some point, but uh, here I am again, and I feel like this is... Uh, I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see any freaking automatism whatsoever. Um, you know, first of all, I think the positional play in possession is dire. Um, Dortmund seem to have like a like a necklace or, or, or a collar that, that dogs wear when there's an invisible electric fence. And, and whenever they hit the final third or the, like the, the final 20 meters or so, they, they just get shocked or zapped or whatever and, and then have to just reshuffle the ball. 
Um, that is, I think, mostly down to because, as you just said, they're trying to find the gaps, but there aren't any gaps because their positional play is, is just downright terrible. And it also, to me, looks completely uncoordinated and it looks stale like, like a five-week-old bread. And uh, it's it's just really annoying to see that there is no chemistry. I feel like the team chemistry is is being sucked out with every game more and more. I mean, we have the same we had the same rants and same complaints after the Freiburg game and so many other games. But here I am again, and I feel like the the runs we are we see being made into the box or whatever. Um, are more of an individual event than than a sequence. I'm not seeing any trigger events, let's call them. I do not see that one player is is making a run or or hinting at a run and doing something else that that triggers something else where where players recognize a certain pattern and then act on it and and run a certain route. I just do not see it and uh, we have had it before in in many successful ways. We had it with Thomas Tuchel, we had it with Jürgen Klopp. Um, and I think we, we even had a couple of things, uh, and schemes with, with Favre in the past, but right now, everything that you can draw on the, on the board, maybe that you can train on, on the pitch, um, has completely broken down and, uh, either maybe has been deciphered and Dortmund have to come up with new stuff. I don't know how, how it then works on, on the football field, but, um, Obviously, these players have a lot of intuition, but I, I also think there are a couple of, of spaces at least where, where you know where someone makes a run just uh, that you have the um, advantage of knowing first where a run is being made and then obviously the defender can react as quickly. That's a, It's a very simple concept and I do not see it at all. So um, I don't know what you want to call it, if you want to call it automatism, if you want to call it synergy but to me this is completely lacking and in the end maybe the most frustrating part because if we look at the players on the field if we see Jaden Sancho, Julian Brandt, Torgen Hazard um, you know this is a and Hakimi I, I think this is a front four if you will that that can really excite and there's a lot of creative potential there but it's just not being unleashed and I Wonder a lot how much that has to do with Favre trying to be patient, as you said, to create that big chances then in, in the end never actually happen or, uh, if, if it's, if it's down to the players. So I, I, I don't really have an explanation for it. Last, do you have one? No. And I think that's, that kind of been the, the, the major discussion point over the last few weeks. Um, and I mean, certainly now it seems like there's a consensus brewing that even if it's not all the coach's fault, because it never is, um, no. uh, that it seems like that's where we will land on eventually. I mean, given the last few performances and the ambitions that, that the club has given out before the season and Basically, the entire development of Dortmund, not only in, in, in this season, but in the calendar year of 2019, uh, I think we are probably closer to the end with either Lucien Favre's playing style or Lucien Favre as, German, uh, as, as Dortmund head coach, period. Um, so I don't know that there's a, there's an answer that, that you can, kind of uh, put it in percentages or whatever whose fault it is to 
that degree and whose fault it is to this degree. I think ultimately it always falls on the head coach to get the best out of the, the players at his disposal. And I think you are absolutely delusional if you think that Lucien Favre is even getting close. And that's, again, not a thing that's been coming up recently, but that's been a consistent theme since the start of the year, basically. I mean, I don't have the the exact numbers in front of me, but basically Dortmund have in the Bundesliga won points in, at the same rate as Bayer Leverkusen under Peter Bosch. And now uh, with this intergame in the Champions League, Dortmund have also looked like Bayer Leverkusen under Peter Bosch uh, in Europe. So that's not necessarily a great role model to 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 strive after. Yeah, this this is uh, very true. But I mean, the other thing is, if we if we do not want to talk about only the coach, and uh, trust me, we'll talk about him in a second because of uh, the things he says. But um, also, please do me a favor, real quick, and and try to count from the starting eleven all the players that are currently in in uh, good to very good form. Or, or a decent, decent to very good form. Uh, me, um, Berkey, yes, Witzel, and that's it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Hummels. I would yeah, but he, he gave away a penalty against Inter. He should have given one away against Gladbach. So I'm, I'm not going to say he's been very good over the last two games, at least. But no, no, this is this is why yeah, I said decent, gen generally like, speaking, it, I would really agree with uh, putting him in there as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe Weigel too, but you know, they've, they've still conceded uh, a lot of chances with him as center back, but he's been better than Akanji if, if that's any consolation. Yeah, I, I think Weigel has been decent too. Like, okay ish. Not, not in the bad form. That's why I'm trying to get it. And the list obviously isn't as long as, as the list of players that I feel like are in, in horrible form. Now, the good news is uh, that is something uh, that can obviously change. And I think with the amount of talent in there is bound to change. And uh, we would all hope it changes, uh, you know, where the, you know, to, toward the more critical stage of the season. Which is now. Um, when maybe. Yeah, well, if, if, if you want, I mean, obviously the, the season's always. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the amount of criticalness or whatever is always the same based mathematically, but I mean, uh, you, you still need to have your form down the stretch, obviously, or you can forget about it, as we've learned last season. So I'm I'm hoping uh, for for the upside, but um, to me, it's it's actually a little bit shocking that there's uh, yeah, so that there are so few players that where I say, yep, they are in in a good personal form and. Uh, that that's just what what I wanted to highlight a little bit, and uh, I guess then we we can move on because um, I was taken aback a little bit by um, what Lucien Favre said after the game, um, and uh, he he said to Sky, I think, I think we played quite well. Our defensive performance was okay. We played patiently and didn't concede many counter attacks. In the second half, we had two to three chances to equalize. You can't expect to get ten chances against such a good side. Um, I tweet quoted that with Spitek. You you said something about delusional. Um, I feel like this is the the, the very definition of gaslighting. Like I I've, I see one thing and and then someone comes and and tells me it is not what I've I've seen. Um, what what do you make of of such a statement? And is is it helpful? 
I mean, no, it isn't helpful, but I also don't take Lucien Favre all that seriously in front of cameras and, you know, press conferences and the like. I mean, he is who he is, and I think that's not something that we are only learning now. So uh, he's he's not ever going to be great with the media. He's not ever going to be engaging with the fans. Uh, he, he wasn't supposed to be. Uh, I, I think that's partly why they got Sebastian Kehl in as well. Uh, I mean, he he is supposed to take some responsibilities away from talk, not only because he's been at it for basically 25 years full stop, but also because you need more voices uh, to be visible when your head coach basically doesn't have one. Uh, and, and, and so to me, I mean, obviously this is really annoying to, to hear the head coach of a team after such an abysmal, basically performance go out and say that he was happy with it because that, that tells you at least partly why Dortmund are playing as they are playing at the moment, because, you know, if, if if the, or it it would if if that was how he talked to the team, but even if I'm very critical of Lucien Favre, I can't believe that internally he would uh, look at this game after studying the tape and go to his team and say, "Hey, that that was really good. Do the same thing against Schalke, and we will be successful." I don't, I I can't even even the biggest Favre hater, if you like, uh, can't really think that's going to be the case. So I was annoyed taken aback as well as you were but I mean uh, 24 hours or so later uh, I, I don't think in the in the grand scheme of things anything that Favre says in front of the media is needs to be taken particularly seriously all right I think that's fair enough um I I, I wrote a bit of a cynical piece at at, at sincere Dortmund conserve energy for Riviera Derby <laughs> uh, that's just what I, I felt like writing so I did um and I think that that means we can also move on um, because we are a little bit uh, constrained for time. Um, Lars, I, for the first time in a very long time, I've a very negative about what is arguably going to happen at the uh, Feltins Arena. I, I don't think this is going to bode well for Dortmund. The good news about the Rio Revier Derby is, it doesn't care about what I think and uh, is sometimes very, uh, yeah, acronical or, or however you want to call it, describe it. Um, so this is obviously a massive chance for Dortmund to redeem themselves from, from this performance and also maybe, uh, the, the last weeks or so. But on the other hand, I feel like, um, if Dortmund show another, let's say passive, uninterested, or as Lucien Farah would call it, patient performance where, where you just don't see any urgency. I, I think this, this could really light the tree on fire. Uh, so going, going into this game, um, how, how do you think, how important do you think it is for, for Dortmund to come away with a good result? And, and do you think that there are going to be consequences in, you know, a, a massive mood swing more than we've seen after this game. Uh, should should Dortmund really screw this up again? I mean, I I can't really see you know heads rolling or whatever. Uh, no, but you know, yeah, what I, I mean, mean, unless you know they get like pummeled by Schalke, which I don't think is a particularly likely scenario, just because of the nature of the Revier Derby, which has typically been a close 
encounter um, in which oftentimes the worst side uh, going into the game came out of on top, as you alluded to earlier. So that's something to be hopeful about, I guess. Even though Dortmund are ahead of Schalke in the Bundesliga standings, but I think if if we look at you know the starting points uh, and the relative starting points and ambitions ahead of the season, I think Schalke will be much happier with their results so far than Dortmund, rightfully so. So I mean, I I think the Revier derby has kind of lost some of its appeal over the last few years. I think. Uh, with Dortmund being the the number two side in Germany, a lot of focus, especially internationally, of course, but also within Germany, to me, has kind of switched over to the Bayern-Dortmund rivalry, which, as we've talked about so often on this show, isn't really the historically fierce rivalry between those two teams. And, and obviously, for locals, the Schalke-Dortmund rivalry is so much more important. But I think, you know, in the, in the greater scheme of things, it has lost some of its appeal, uh, with the internationalization of, you know, the Bundesliga football and all that. I mean, we don't have to really get into this right now, but so uh, it's, it's not like, uh, the derby is the most important fixture of the season as it may have been, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So. I mean, obviously, it's going to be important to come away with a good result or at least a good performance and a decent result, which I guess would be a draw. Um, but I, I really can't see, you know, changing or, or this changing too much about how Dortmund are perceived because, as I alluded to earlier, this this current slump or whatever is not a current slump, but a slump that has been going on since December of 2018. Or if we want to exclude the, the win at Leipzig on the first match day of uh, the second half of last season, then since uh, I, I think early February. So um, given, given all that, it's still Schalke, it's still the derby. So there's always going to be more importance on this than most games, but still it's not, as it was once. So what we're seeing at Schalke right now is actually a transformation to the positive. I mean, it, it couldn't get much worse, to be honest, but uh, they didn't make a lot of big changes. Um, nevertheless, I mean, they, they've added uh, Kenny on, on uh, John Joe Kenny on the uh, right back side and uh, they have uh, Rahman and, and uh, who, who's the other guy who's, who's very fast up front? Is that Rahman? Uh, I mean, there's Benito Arman, there's uh, Rabbi Matondo. Yes, yeah, Matondo. This, this is uh, he, he, he might actually play, and uh, he is he's a very fast striker up front. So there, there is a bit of new blood, but um, overall, I, I think the team isn't all that different from uh, from last season. Um, my point is that David Wagner um has managed to. Transform Schalke in a way that a lot of Dortmund fans would hope uh, could happen to their own team now, and is that they just uh, go out there and fight, and uh, it's it's actually working out. I mean, uh, you know, they they make like life tough for other opponents. They won away to Leipzig. Yes, they they just lost to Hoffenheim, but uh, for the first time in a long time, I actually I actually saw a Schalke game where they were the better side and lost. Usually the story is Schalke are the worst team and, and, and somehow win. But for for the first time in a long time, they won the, the midfield battle, had more possession and whatnot, but uh, then just, uh, you know, lost on the counter. 
So, um, there, there is new life in Schalke 04. David Wagner has performed the miracle. <laughs> so, um, I think this, um, let's, let's say newfound feistiness of Schalke, which they usually show in the derby anyway, uh, should make them favorites for, for this game. How, how do you see? Um, this this matchup shaping up, I think it's going to be a very brutal and uh, very uh, incoherent game. What, what do you think will happen? Well, just to circle back real quick, I think it's important to to make a point of what you said. Uh, Schalke are playing like the fans expect Schalke to play under David Wagner, and that's indeed something that a lot of Dortmund fans will hope is going to be the case at Dortmund again at some point. I think we've talked a lot about how Dortmund have kind of lost uh, a discernible identity that 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 uh, reconciles on the pitch with off the pitch because, you know, this is the, the, the working class club, uh, both Dortmund and Schalke are, but, you know, Dortmund are also, uh, you know, trying to win championships and trying to develop the best talent in the world and, trying to sign great players and all that so that there there seems to be a disconnection uh, between uh, on and off the field at Dortmund and there used to be at Schalke as well but David Wagner as you said kind of miraculously has kind of reconciled both of these aspects and I mean it's still early doors and I'm sure they're going to run into some form of crisis because it's still Schalke and that's I mean that's, <laughs> yeah. that's just how this club operates and and This physics yeah, and, and and to be honest, that's why a lot of people are drawn to Schalke too. I mean, it's it, it, they are never boring, if if nothing else. I mean, that's that's something that uh, a lot of people uh, are kind of drawn to. So, uh, having said all that, in terms of the game on Saturday, I I would agree with you that Schalke should be considered favorites, uh, even though I think the betting markets are going to pack Dortmund as favorites. But you know, they are kind of dumb, especially in Germany. Um, given Dortmund's performances over the last few weeks, I, I would expect Schalke to uh, come out really physical. I mean, it's the derby, so they would do that anyway. But I think they are going to test Dortmund early, whether they're up for this kind of game, for this kind of scrap or not. I, I think we've already seen a test, and that was against Inter. Um, where Inter was, I think, quite physical, uh, a lot of hidden fouls here and there, and, and Dortmund just didn't know how to respond. Um, so I, I really fear the worst because uh, so far these Dortmund players have not shown that they are really up for a derby whatsoever. So, um, yeah, my, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very grim about it, and I really hope that Dortmund can, uh, uh, yeah, show a different face for once. Do you think? That will be the case. Do you actually think there is going to be some fight in those players that we haven't seen for now? Uh, you would hope so, right? I mean, um, if, if last season is any indication, uh, the first derby, the two win, a two-one away win at Schalke, that was a decent derby performance of Dortmund. I think they were the the, the better side. They they did accept the fight. Uh, I think that was kind of the the best. Delaney game we've seen and he's certainly going to be in the lineup as well because it's Lucien Favre and Thomas Delaney and there are few better love stories in the world. Um, so I think if, or let's put it that this way, if, if they don't show 
the desire and hunger and fight and all these these buzzwords that we typically don't want to talk about on this show because they are easy explanations for uh, not easy problems. Uh, I think in this case, it kind of comes down to these easy explanations. Do they want it enough? Do they show enough uh, fighting spirit to uh, lean against the, the budding crisis, if you like? I mean, uh, I, I, I think they need to understand that this game is not only the opportunity to, uh, you know, lose something in terms of, you know, fan support and also obviously league uh, sending and, and whatever, because I think Bayern are not going to keep dropping points against Minos. So uh, you've, you've kind of used up your luck in that regard. It's also the opportunity uh, to kind of uh, maybe get to that turnaround point where, you can look back on in a few weeks or months and say, hey, remember when we, we really laid it all out against Schalke and got away with uh, that scrappy win that kind of propelled us into our position now, which is obviously great and whatever. Um, if, if, they, if they don't do that, then I think that says quite a lot about uh the the construction of this team the the characters in this uh, team and you know where they are going to end up which i mean is not going to be as you know a memorable successful dortmund side i think that's maybe that's saying too much and putting too much in a derby which i said 5 minutes ago wasn't as important as it <laughs> used to be but maybe well i knew you would maybe come I, maybe i talked myself <laughs> into a corner here but i don't care i think this is going to be a real test for you know character and metal and fight and spirit and you know overall capacity in this Dortmund team. Yeah, I think we we can close it out now here. Um, if we look back to last season and there were a couple of games where Dortmund showed some real re resiliency when they went down, there were a lot of come from behind wins and whatnot. Um, right now, when this happens, I don't see the same. I don't see Dortmund being that resilient. And uh, this game really is a chance for them to rediscover that because there will be uh, moments where Dortmund have to be very resilient. Um, you just said um, correctly that Dortmund offer a lot of shots from distance. Guess what? Schalke have a lot of players that can really score from distance. Um, just thinking of Daniel Caligiuri, for example. So... Um, uh, in, in general, Schalke is a bit of Dortmund's boogie side in, in many ways and also just the characteristics that Schalke have that Dortmund don't have. So, um, yeah, to me, this, this really, uh, goes to show, um, yeah, what, what Dortmund are all about or what they are not all about. And, uh, this might, uh, further shape the narrative. Who knows? Last question, Lars. Um, Marco Reus has been, uh, he played with a cold against Gladbach and then was out due to a cold against Inter. I don't know how fit he will be, but uh, irregardless of that, um, m maybe it's a bit of blasphemy to ask this question, but I think... I, I can't remember a good Marco Reus performance in the derby. I, I feel like there's something uh, with this game that, that does something to Marco Reus that makes him perform completely... I, 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 don't, I don't know how to describe it, but he's just not himself. Um, it, this game just gets maybe too much in his head... Uh, and with this body of, of negative evidence, um, would you maybe just keep him out of this game? Uh, maybe I would. I mean, 
on top of not being great in derbies uh, so far, and I mean he's 30, so uh, there there is a body of work to judge upon. Uh, he's also not been great this season. Period. Um, I mean, even in games where he scored, and I mean his 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 scoring record in the Bundesliga is still fine, and he, the expected goals are fine and all that. But I mean, he scored a brace against Leverkusen and had a nondescript performance, for example. I think he's not been great uh, so far this season. So. Uh, you would think about maybe leaving him out of games, but I don't think Schalke is the game. And also there's really not a better alternative in sight. I mean, Julian Brandt hasn't done anything to suggest he should be starting games at this point, uh, even though obviously he's not played in his preferred position. And I put some, if not most of the blame in Brandt's poor uh, run of form uh, on the plate of the coaching staff. But it's still uh, a matter of fact that he hasn't been any better than Roy. So it, that would seem to be like an overcorrection of sorts. So uh, if, if Roy is deemed fit enough to play even 60 minutes, he's definitely going to be in the starting 11. And, you know, who knows? He's, he's bound to have a good performance against Schalke eventually, I guess. So uh, why not here? Yeah, I mean, Marco Reus had good performances against Schalke when he played for Gladbach. Un un no, unless uh, Jermaine Jones uh, tried to break his uh, big toe. Yeah. Toe. Yeah. But uh, I think he, he even scored <laughs> right. in that game too, I think. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, before we go, a quick prediction. 2-0 Schalke. All right. I'm I'm not going to predict anything for Schalke in, in this game, so I'm going with a, a 2-1 Dortmund Hausfrauen tip. So yeah, that's that's it. Uh, if if people want to send uh, compliments or complaints to you on Twitter, how can they do that? Yeah, my handle is Stefan Butzko. <laughs> okay, uh, you can find me at Last Poiman on Twitter, <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with all of us, do that at Yellow Pot on Twitter or Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the show, go to our YouTube, Stitcher, iCloud, uh, iTunes. <laughs> don't go to our iCloud. We don't have one. iTunes uh, and Spotify or SoundCloud. That's what I meant. And uh, yeah, I hope we will be in better spirits next week than we are this week because it's it's been shit. Let's Let's just name it as it is. But as always... Everyone out there, thank you for listening. And so, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. So, jetzt hätte ich fest auf Auflegen gedrückt anstatt auf Stop Recording. <lacht> <lacht>